0: Well, thank you, worship team. So, it's one of my favorite hymns. The problem is I sing too loudly on the last verse that I have to get ready to preach. So, uh, well, here we are. We're gathered together this morning as disciples of Jesus Christ. And, you know, as disciples of Jesus Christ, as good followers of His, we often like to take time to assess our own discipleship. Now sometimes this happens, this honest self-assessment, when we're on a retreat. Men's retreat, women's retreat, youth retreat, whatever it might be. Or maybe we're on a missions trip. Or a family crisis hits and all of a sudden we start thinking about what does it mean to really follow after Jesus? Or maybe it's a crisis in a church. You know, churches are known for crises. Maybe it's a personal sin crisis that you go through and all of a sudden you realize, I need to take stock of what it means to really follow Jesus. Or, or maybe on a positive side, it's going to a wonderful conference and you hear a wonderful speaker who just, by God's grace, brings the Word to you in a way that you needed to hear that day. Or maybe it even just happens at home sometimes where you're just quietly reading Scripture and praying and reflecting on it, and all of a sudden, God brings something to mind that you need to be thinking and praying about. But this honest look at ourselves and our discipleship is very good and healthy. Um, It's usually very encouraging and helpful. It's a biblical thing to do. It's challenging, and we're always glad we did it. And that's because we know that God our Father loves us and that in our Lord Jesus Christ, He generously gives us the grace and the mercy, the peace, and the hope we need to continue following Him faithfully. So let me pray for us this morning. And Lord Jesus, we are here because we <clears throat> profess to follow you, to be one of your disciples. And uh, we are all at different stages in our discipleship process. And we pray this morning that as we listen to this sermon on the plane of yours, Lord Jesus, that you gave so many years ago to your disciples, recorded to us faithfully a scripture by Luke, that we would come to a deeper understanding of what it means to follow you this morning. And I pray that you would encourage all of us in that. Amen. Well, at this point in Jesus' ministry, we're in Luke chapter 6, and we're continuing to study the gospel of Luke. And Jesus is in the middle of this sermon, Sermon on the Plain as it's known. And he has many, many followers at this point, but people are following him for a lot of different reasons. Not everybody's following him because they're fully committed to him at this point. And so, you know, every once in a while in Jesus' ministry, and this is the first one of the first ones we, we are brought to attention, our uh, attention to, is that He knows that people have been following Him. They've, they've heard enough to this point, um, they've seen enough of what I do. And it's time to decide uh, if they want to be true followers of mine or not. And he's forcing them to examine the nature of their discipleship and decide whether or not they really want to follow Jesus. They really want to follow him. So please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 39. It's also printed for you in your worship folder if you'd just like to look at that. But this morning, um, I want us to consider the demands that Jesus would place on his followers, even you this morning. And we'll read it as we go through it. Um, And we should recall that this sermon was originally given to the Twelve and a whole host of other people that were following Jesus at the time, and what we're going to learn this morning is that Jesus wants full-hearted followers, full-hearted disciples who obey his teaching. He doesn't want, uh, at this point, any more half-hearted followers. He wants full-hearted followers. And he gives three illustrations of what it means to be a follower of his, and they really function in the sermon as three different calls to discipleship. And so he's going to talk about blind men, and he's going to talk about fruit trees, and he's going to talk about building a house. And uh, his advice, if you'd like it to call it that, or spiritual counsel, or since he's the Lord, his commands, is that in verses 39 to 42, you should watch where you're going in pursuing righteousness. And in verses 43 to 45, you need to examine your heart and your life for the production of good fruit. And then in verses 46 to 49, we should build our life for enduring stability by using true spiritual wisdom. Now, just to review the sermon briefly, as we're, in the, we're at the very end of it this morning, there are three sections that we've been looking at. So at the very beginning of the sermon on the plane, he blesses everyone who follows him, but he does it in an unusual way because he provides blessings for those who suffer for following him. And then he goes on in the center part of the sermon to call for love and mercy from his disciples and even in the midst of their suffering that there's gonna be so many opportunities for you as my followers to witness to me to the world. And then today, we're gonna rediscover that Jesus wants full-hearted disciples who obey his teachings. So first, the first call to discipleship is to watch where you're going in pursuing righteousness. And so there's this parable of the blind We begin in verse 39. He told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Now, blind guides don't make good guides. In fact, you'd have to be blind to follow them. Right? That's the point, the story. So Jesus is referring to those who provide poor spiritual guidance to people. Most, of course, he's talking about a bunch of Pharisees at the time, and false teachers in general. Uh, He doesn't want his disciples to follow these types of people, these guides, these spiritual guides who really are blind spiritually. The devastating result, though, of course, if you follow a blind guide and you become a blind follower, we're going to fall into a pit. And the pit here could refer to the pit of final destruction. But it also can simply signify the fact that you're not going to go anywhere in your spiritual life if you follow these kinds of people. You're not going to go anywhere spiritually. And this is probably the most common experience that we have in our lives and people that you know is that they end up following these blind guides and they don't go anywhere in their spiritual life. It's really sad. Have you ever been there before? Maybe you've known others who have. You know, you or your friend is starting to follow someone's poor spiritual teaching. And uh, they're taking you on on a journey toward a pit, and you and your friend are warned by someone else, but you don't heed it, and so you end up stuck in this pit. And there are a lot of pits you could be stuck in. It could be a pit of spiritual dead ends uh, and despair, a, a pit of spiritual depression or drudgery. And oftentimes, people that follow blind followers who follow the blind guides end up in a place where they end up openly criticizing other people's spirituality, But they themselves don't have any joy in their own spirituality. That's a sign that you're in a pit and that you've been following a blind guide. And the list of spiritual ailments is actually quite long. But then in this storyline, perhaps by God's grace, your eyes have been opened and God has lifted you out of that pit and he shows you now where to walk. Now, don't give up on warning people about the dangers of false and skewed teachings, and in our society and culture today, it usually tends to be those people that are sort of self-educated spiritually that then want to go out and teach everybody and get them to follow them. So make sure you're on the right path, the one that Jesus leads us on, and follow those who follow Jesus. You know, a person's going to become like the people they follow, as Jesus teaches here, and we shouldn't expect really otherwise, because a student or a pupil or a disciple um, is going to become like the teacher or the mentor in, in what, what he or she knows, the way they behave. You've probably seen this uh, in, in real life. Uh, really, parenthood is a good example because no matter how hard we try, we reproduce our strengths and our weaknesses as parents. Right? So people achieve that level and then pretty much all you can give out is what you have. And so, and the ambition, of course, if you sign up to be somebody's, uh, you want somebody to be your mentor or something, your whole goal is you, you idolize that person that you, you, want, you want to be like them. That's the point. You want to follow them, be like them in character and lifestyle. And so Jesus is warning us here that we're going to become like those blind guides if we follow them. And so the bottom line is to choose your mentors wisely. And in verse 40, of course, Jesus is probably saying very clearly, contrasting himself to the blind guides, is that you really should follow me because all these other people are blind guides to you. And his disciples need to make the choice between following the blind guides or himself as the true guide. And, you know, you know the difference because anybody who contradicts the Lord Jesus is a blind guide. Anybody who goes beyond what Jesus teaches or reduces what Jesus teaches, that's a blind guide. And, of course, Jesus is ultimately who we want to be like, you know, so we want to follow him. Now here they are, they show up immediately in the story in verse 41 to 42. You want to know what the spiritually blind in action look like? They're right here for us, you don't even have to wonder. So the story continues, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye but don't notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye, out of your eye when you yourself do not see the log that's in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you'll be able to clearly take the speck that's out of of your brother's eye. So here they are. They have planks in their eyes. No wonder they're blind. I mean, they can't see where they're going. This is all one story that we're talking about here. And so the plank symbolizes sin, and it also symbolizes false theology, bad theology. And they're preceding these blind guides with planks in their eyes to be the experts in leading other people to truth and righteousness. Well, that's not going to work out very well, is it? And they think that their job is to go around removing specks out of other people's eyes. Again, Jesus hits the theme of self-righteousness in this sermon. It's ridiculous. I mean, for the one who has the log and the plank, be able to see well enough to actually see a little speck in somebody else's eye that they can now take out. But this doesn't stop blind guides because they're blind. They're too certain of themselves. And so they become quite judgmental, self-oriented, unloving, unmerciful people. And the Lord Jesus is bringing this out by his teaching. Because it's pretty obvious, if they object to his teaching, then you know which side they're on. They rejected him, and so they prove their own situation. But the point of this whole illustration is that the guiding, guiding people into God's righteousness and truth, uh, you know, you can't do it with a plank in your own eye. A log versus the sawdust. Right? It represents sin and theology in our lives. So the story continues. A fellow disciple has a small problem to deal with in comparison to the larger problem in the other disciple. And yet this other disciple with the larger problem decides to judge the sin in the brother rather than his own. As one pastor defined hypocrisy, and I love this definition, it's this. Hypocrisy is profound self-ignorance and yet arrogant presumption of the knowledge of others. I'll say that again. Hypocrisy is profound self-ignorance, and yet arrogant presumption in the knowledge of others. I mean, we would say, if we were observing this in actual life, we'd say, what nerve does this person have? And rightly so. That's why Jesus is the one who says, you hypocrite. The Pharisees and the other blind guides, they do this sort of thing. Jesus' disciples don't do this sort of thing. And they shouldn't do this sort of thing. That includes us and the people he chooses to lead his people. Another definition of hypocrisy comes from another uh, scholar who puts it this way. <clears throat> the hypocrite ignores the significant failures in his or her own life while becoming preoccupied with the slighter failures of others. That's another good definition. Hypocrisy is about ignoring the significant failures in one's own life, but then becoming preoccupied with the slighter failures in other people's lives. Is that you this morning? Has it been you in the past, maybe? Do you know how I identify blind guides now? Do you know how I identify the people that are captured under their spell. The censorious critic, as another commentator puts it, the censorious critic who's eager to correct others is really unhelpful. It's those who look to correct themselves first who are actually the most helpful in correcting others. The solution is pretty simple. You remove the plank or the log from your own eye first. You stop being spiritually blind. And then, when you have this newfound spiritual clarity, you can actually try to help your brother or sister. And, you know, at, at sometimes, you know, you could just leave the little sins of other people alone. You know, that, that's always an option too, you know. So, that's the pro tip of the morning, okay? you can just leave people alone. Now, of course, we have a responsibility to help other people in their walk with the Lord and to help one another mortify sins in our life, but we have to approach the matter in a spiritual position of humility. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, even if a man is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. So let us deal with sin in our own lives, and then, knowing our place before God, and our relationship with our brother or sister in Christ, because, you know, we need to ask ourselves, am I really the right person that really should talk to so-and-so? Do I have a close enough relationship with them? Is, is God prompting me to really help them progress in their faith? Or maybe I should just be praying that God would send someone who's closer to them But then we need to truly and courageously go before our brother or sister in humility. And and if you know you're the one that's supposed to go, pray first on how to proceed and get your own motives purified. You know, not proceeding is not an option at this point. And if you know you're the one, it would be cowardice not to go. And besides, you don't want to let your brother or sister whom you love fall into a pit, do you? And so go to your brother or sister in Christ in prayer and humility. You might even say something like this, you know, I could be wrong, but this is what I've observed, etc. cetera. And would you consider it and just leave it at that and pray together and keep praying regardless of the outcome that day. Everything doesn't have to be accomplished in a day. So watch where you're going in pursuing righteousness. Being a disciple of Jesus requires that we pursue true righteousness, not a self-righteousness. And watch who you're following and where they are going. Look at their character and look at their life because that's who you'll become if you follow that person. Obviously, Jesus is the best pick, you know, but, you know, he's not here in the flesh for you to pick him, so you can only pick him through Scripture, but there are plenty of people who follow Jesus, and you can pick a a follower of Jesus that you would like to be like someday. So Jesus wants full-hearted followers. That's the first call to discipleship by using that storyline. They all come together at the end, but we'll get there. The second call to discipleship, though, is to examine your heart and life for the production of good fruit. So, this discussion about true and false disciples and leaders continues. It even becomes really more personal here and harder to dodge Jesus' teachings. Now, in Matthew's recording of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, uh, traditionally understood as a different sermon, the, the focus here with this, this whole storyline of good fruit is focused on false teachers. Well, of course, Jesus used this metaphor many times in his teaching. Here in this sermon and the Sermon on the Plain that Luke records, it's really focused on just all of us as disciples bearing good fruit. And so first we learn about trees and their fruit and then hearts and their deeds, they go together. So in verse 43 and 44, we read, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. It's a very simple, common, easy illustration to understand, right? There are two lessons being taught here at once, so let's learn them. The first lesson is very simple, is that a healthy tree, a good tree, that's what he means, a healthy tree is going to produce healthy fruit, good fruit that you actually want to eat. But a bad tree, in other words, an unhealthy tree, it's going to produce bad fruit that you don't want to eat. So a particular tree, though, might look healthy on the outside, but not really be healthy on the inside. But when the fruit comes out, then you actually know the condition of the tree. And so the deeds of a person, what they do, reveals the truth that can often be hidden for a long time by their words of discipleship. That's the first lesson. The second lesson is that trees only bear fruit after their own kind. And so it's easy to recognize a tree once the fruit's hanging on it, unless, you know, you actually have to be a botanist or something. But, but, you know, you see a tree with leaves on it, but once it bears fruit, you know what kind of tree it is. And so you don't walk up to an apple tree with an apple hanging on it and say, oh, I wonder why this isn't a lemon. It doesn't make sense because you know what kind of tree you're dealing with. And so, notice also, because we shouldn't expect figs from thorns, and we shouldn't expect grapes to come from bramble bushes. You know, and notice here, the choice of sweet, enjoyable fruit versus these harsh, painful plants. You see, because the nature of the plant is going to bring about the yield, whether it's a true or a false disciple. So, what you see is what you have. It's not a hard lesson. So true and false disciples are going to prove which they are by their fruits. That is, the character of life, the words they speak, their deeds over time as a whole is what we're talking about. It's going to become clear whether or not a, a proclaimed disciple of Jesus is really looking to the Bible as the source of their life or not. It's going to become clear over time whether or not following Jesus is really at the core of their discipleship or it's something else. And it's a, this is a certain test, you realize. Now, as one pastor put it, it's not a quick test. That's a really important thing to realize. It's a certain test, but it's not a quick test. Sometimes, oftentimes, we just have to wait. But whatever you do this morning, don't make Jesus confusing, because he's clear here. And don't confuse his teaching, because it's pretty clear what he's saying. But I've run into, and maybe you've run into people too, there are many people who want to make excuses for false disciples and somehow want to sort of twist the observations and twist the words of Jesus so so that they can somehow call somebody who is, at this point, an obviously false disciple or pretty close to it, a true disciple. And, of course, it often relates to somebody who's a close relative or a friend, somebody we love, somebody we really do want to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. But we have to be honest with what Jesus teaches and what he teaches about discipleship. Well then in verse 45, the spiritual lesson is made very clear, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So the spiritual principle is very, very plain. Our hearts are treasuries, Um, they hold things. They hold what's either good or evil and whatever's in there is gonna eventually come out. And whatever fills our heart, it's going to overflow at some point, and it's going to come out in things we say, the way we conduct ourselves, the things we teach people, the way we live our lives. In another section, in another story, in Mark chapter 7, verse 20 and following, Jesus said this, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, Adulteries, deeds of coveting, and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. So we produce what we are in our nature, and we produce according to its quality in time. Our lives reveal who we are spiritually. So look at your life and you'll see into your heart. It's an easy thing to do. Examine your heart and life for the production of good fruit and being a disciple of Jesus requires the production of good fruit. Now this section is meant to be highly personal and for personal reflection as a disciple to assess whether or not we're true disciples and if we find out we're really not, well join. Join up with Jesus and become a true disciple and to assess the quality of our discipleship so that we can follow more faithfully. I mean, it's all of our true, those of us who are true followers of Jesus, I mean, it's our prayer, Lord, bring, bring more and better and higher quality fruit out of my life. That's what I want you to do. So Jesus wants full-hearted disciples, those who obey his teaching. Well, the third call for discipleship is to build your life for enduring stability by using spiritual wisdom. Now, we're more familiar here with the more developed account uh, of the two builders in Matthew's recording of the Sermon on the Mount. And then we have the wise and the foolish builders, very extensive uh, conclusion in that sermon. And Matthew emphasizes how building your life upon Jesus' words is going to help you, well, it will allow you, right, to stand in the final judgment. That's the emphasis in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Plain, the emphasis here that Luke makes very clear is it's about present results. Now, of course, they're both always in view. You know, building your life on Jesus' teachings and wisdom, you're going to have a life built properly here to withstand life, and one, of course, that will last forever. Not, that, of course, that you're saved by your works, you're saved by Jesus' righteousness, right? And, uh, and what he did for you, but, but your life has been being built and grows because of what he's done for you. So, Jesus begins by just simply saying, you know, calling me Lord doesn't make it so. Just because somebody says Jesus is the Lord doesn't mean he is in practice. And so he begins, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? So he makes it very clear that you can't call him Lord if you don't do what he says. I mean, that makes perfect sense, right? I mean, if you're going to call somebody Lord, I mean, we don't do that every day. But I mean, if you're going to actually call somebody a Lord, not just some royalty thing, but I mean, the Lord, and notice it's doubled here, Lord, Lord, emphasizing his honor due as the Lord God himself, uh, of course, you're going to obey what he says. He's your Lord. I mean, even if he were just a rabbi, you know, and you wanted to translate this, sir, I mean, even if you were following somebody who is a great teacher and a, and a wise person and in, in the faith beyond you, you would still do what they would say. So Jesus is saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? So lip service to lordship, Jesus' lordship is simply not going to do. He doesn't accept it. You know, you can fool people for a long time, but you don't ever fool Jesus. He's the Lord. And the counsel in the book of James here fits really well. James one twenty one. you can jot that reference down, one twenty one, And he simply says, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. You know, that's another interesting twist on this, and maybe you've seen this too, is that people can start out so often in their false discipleship thinking that they can delude other people and fit in. But after a while, they start deceiving themselves and they start thinking that they're a real believer. But their life shows the exact opposite by the way they behave and the things that come out. It's really sad to find people self-deluded, and I've had the real pain of having to deal with so many people like that who never seem to come around once you get to that point. Well, Jesus himself here is telling us that the key characteristic of true discipleship is obedience. There's just no other way around it. Being a true disciple, of course, you're not looking for ways out of it. I mean, if you're a true follower of Jesus, you want to obey him and please him. You're not looking for ways to get out of doing that because he's our Lord. And a true disciple laments the fact, we all do that. Oh, I wish I could be even more obedient. I wish I could be even more pleasing to you, Lord Jesus, because of what you've done in my life. And so we ask for more grace and mercy. Well, then the illustration of lordship and outcome comes in verses 47 to 49, where it says, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it, because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great." Now, verse 47 begins by referencing again those who've come to hear. Literally, it's come to Jesus, to hear, to do. And that's who was gathering. So if you look back in verse 18 of chapter 6, you see the people gathering to hear Jesus. And it says there, and those who had come to hear him, they'd come to hear the sermon. And then in the middle of the sermon, in verse 27, you see, but I say to you who hear, right? So now he's, he's in the middle of this message and looking around and saying, looking at people and who's listening really intently to what he's saying? Those are the ones who've come to hear. You know, it's good to come to, hear, come to Jesus to hear him, but the full-hearted disciple goes farther than that. He wants to know how to obey him and to learn and to grow. And so there are two types of people, Jesus says. There's the disciples who hear and obey. They're like a wise house builder. So this person works through the topsoil and painstakingly builds his house on the solid foundation of the rock. He believes Jesus' words, and so he digs into them, if you will, as the parable is talking about. It takes a lot of work to dig into the words of Jesus. And then he acts upon them, and he carefully builds his house, meaning his life. He carefully builds his life upon the rock, referring to, of course, Jesus and his teachings so when the floods and torrents of life and trials even final judgment comes the waters can't shake this house they can't bring it down the disciples life remains it's stable it's been built on wisdom you know people like this most likely you are one of these people you've been through a lot in life and you've seen how the words of Jesus and following him in faithful discipleship gives you the stability to stand in the midst of a very difficult world and a very difficult life that we all share in this world. But then there's other kinds of disciples or so-called disciples who hear, but they don't obey. They don't put into practice. They're like a foolish house builder. They listen to Jesus' words, but they don't really believe them because they put very little effort into understanding them and acting upon them. And so they just quickly build their house, quickly build their life without a foundation, And meaning that they just sort of have the surface wrong understanding of what Jesus teaches. They take his teaching too lightly. You know people like this. They're the people who just simply look through Jesus' teachings to gain a few principles. Or they just like the nice aphorisms that they can memorize. This is a surface understanding of Jesus' words. It's not digging into them. So if you try to build your life on just looking at those little takeaway phrases from Jesus, it's not going to be enough in this life. And so when the flood and the torrents of life's trials come, even final judgment, this house is going to fall and it's going to be a great loss very quickly and very completely. The disciple's life, this kind of disciple's life, falls apart. It's unstable. In fact, it's always been unstable, really. It's just it hasn't been tested yet. And it's been wobbling for quite some time. And you probably know people like this too. And and you've seen it happen. And it's extremely depressing to see it happen when when a half-hearted disciple is now really confused. And leaves the faith and enters into eternal danger. So here we are back at the beginning of the story. You see, these are blind builders that we're looking at at the end. It's hard to build a house when you're blind, and you copy those who are blind. Too many are saying that they follow Jesus, meaning just simply that they enjoy listening to him, both in the original audience and even today, because he met some emotional need. They were hurting, so they came to Jesus and they felt immediate relief. They found his teachings intellectually stimulating. I've never read anything so deep before. Or he meets some physical need. They cry out to him in the midst of some unimaginable crisis and all of a sudden it's removed. And they think they're a follower of Jesus because of this. But they're really only using him in his teachings and that's who Jesus is cutting from the ranks of discipleship in the storyline here, even as he speaks and calls for true discipleship. Because they're not personally submitting to him As Lord for their deepest real needs, which are spiritual needs. The forgiveness of sins. A relationship with God. These things that we really need. So what kind of builder are you? What are you doing with the words of Jesus? What are you building your life upon? Are you trusting him to provide you a joyful life? Do you believe the scriptures? That they're filled with spiritual wisdom from Jesus, who's the son of God and possesses all eternal wisdom. Do you want spiritual stability in your life and a wisdom that's going to make your life withstand all, that you can stand in the midst of life's trials? Well, build your life for enduring stability by building it on the spiritual wisdom that Jesus provides in all of his teachings, in all of its depth, in all of the apostles taught, in all that God has given to us in his scripture. You know, Jesus ends his sermon with the words he does. Luke chooses to end it here in his recording in order to give a very serious warning to hypocrites, remember them, and the half-hearted disciples, Jesus by the Sermon on the Plain you see is weeding out the true from the false and He would occasionally do this and we'll see more of this as we go through the Gospel of Luke. And You know what? Jesus continually does this even today and has throughout church history. Every time somebody reads a passage like this, every time this passage is preached or taught somewhere. It forces people to become a full-hearted follower of Jesus. So who are you trusting to get you to heaven? To avoid the pit of destruction? To produce good fruit in your life? To give you a stable spiritual life? You know, there's only one true guide who can get you there. That's Jesus Christ, the Lord. And what it takes to follow him is really just faith. To believe who he said he is. He said he was the Son of God to believe that and then to trust in his cross and resurrection on your behalf. It's very simple actually. I mean, have you come to the point where you figured it out that you can't eliminate sin from your life? You just can't do it. No matter how hard you try. You can't even change your nature. You see, that's because we all need the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That's what we need. Have you figured it out that You really can't produce true righteousness. I mean, you could produce some that sort of looks good to people. But if you figured it out that you really can't, out of your own being, produce something that's eternally acceptable to God, commensurate with His holiness, that's because we all need His righteousness, Jesus' righteousness. We don't have any of our own to to get and to offer. And so I encourage you to put your faith in Jesus and don't put it in yourself. Give up on yourself today. And put your faith in Him. And don't put your faith in religion. That's just another way of putting faith in yourself. Then after doing that, you know, His Spirit that He gives you will confirm that you're a true disciple. And you'll know internally you belong to Him. And the Spirit who had just opened your blind eyes to see Jesus for who He really is, that same Spirit's going to live in you and is going to keep your eyes open. The Spirit who has changed your nature is going to show you the results of what He's done in your life. And you're going to start seeing your life change in ways you didn't even plan for. Or maybe you didn't even try. And all of a sudden, your desires change, and your character changes, and people start mentioning it to you. And the Holy Spirit will be a comfort to you in the midst of your life. And you'll live securely now and you'll live securely forever because your life is anchored in Jesus Christ. So Luke really desires to encourage us with these words of Jesus Christ in verses 39 to 49 and their message that Jesus wants full-hearted followers, full-hearted disciples who obey what he says. So if you're here as a half-hearted disciple, you need to become a full-hearted disciple. Don't stay half-hearted. I mean, don't walk away rejected from this uh, kind of teaching or dejected, but join the true discipleship. Jesus is offering it to you. And those of us who are full-hearted disciples, we need to keep on following him in obedience. I mean, don't think too highly of yourself. And don't bemoan your failings. You know, both of those things are not the correct way to live by faith in Jesus Christ. We look to Jesus Christ for our ongoing growth in our life. And so be resolved in the grace and the mercy and the peace and the love of Christ to persevere. So take to heart the great spiritual counsel of our Lord Jesus this morning. Watch where you're going in pursuing righteousness. Examine your heart and life for the production of good fruit and build your life for enduring stability upon the spiritual wisdom He provides. So I want to bring together the unity of this, this sermon for you this morning and in, in your mind, in our, all our minds by reviewing the outline very, very briefly here. So if you remember, and you look back to the beginning, that first section, verses 20 to 26, that's the introduction. That's the opening of Jesus' sermon. And he's talking about what it means to be chosen by him and to be his witness and that he's going to bless you through your suffering because you chose to follow him. And then in the middle, in verses 27 to 38, He talks about living out our calling in this world. And he promises that we're going to have great opportunities to show extraordinary love and extraordinary mercy to a world desperately in need for it. And then finally, we're to remain fully committed followers of his, a disciple who's a true disciple, a growing disciple, in verses 39 to 49. And that's where our assurance comes from. And that's where his pleasure in our lives comes from. And so on your own, I know some of you like homework, not everybody does, but for those of you who do, this is your homework. So go back and look at the whole sermon. I mean, it's really short. I mean, verses, what, 20 to 49? I mean, so go back home and go over in your, in your times with the Lord this week, just go back over the sermon of Jesus here and just read through it and, and uh, ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes that you can see even greater unity in this passage and greater specificity in its application to your own life so that you can become a better follower of Jesus Christ. Now, let me pray for us. Oh, Lord Jesus, we praise you that you are Lord, and we call you Lord, Lord today because we really believe you're Lord. We've put our faith and trust in you, not only for our salvation, but for every aspect of our life. And we love to sing your praises. We adore you for how you have saved us from our sins and how you have guaranteed us an eternal inheritance with you in glory. We thank you for these three clear calls to discipleship, to follow the true guide and be a good guide, to produce good fruit and to build a life solidly on your teaching. We thank you for the salvation you brought to our souls. We pray for those who are listening, who have not yet chosen to follow you, Lord, that you would open their eyes to see you, Lord Jesus, for who you truly are, the Savior they need produce growth in us, and we ask this week that as we continue to reflect upon the Sermon on the Plain, that you would impact our lives this week in our times with you in ways that perhaps we cannot even imagine or foresee at this point, but that your word would do its work inside of our life. And we pray these things for your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen.